Well, good morning, everyone. Wow, there's a lot of us here. It's fantastic. Sorry, am I too tall? I can't do much about that. Can't do too much. I am going to, I am just going to adjust this. A little bit of technical. Here we go. Okay. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, as, as Luke said, my name is Tim. Uh, I guess I suppose a, a lot of you know me, but many of you may not. So let me just, by way of introduction, I introduce myself. My name is, um, is Tim, and uh, my wife Natasha and I live here. Uh, Natasha's from here originally. I am not, um, but this has been home for the last uh, 12 years. 12 years, and two little ones have come along the way in, the, in that time. Uh, an almost nine and an almost seven-year-old uh, boy and a girl. And uh, we are just thrilled to be part of this community, and I am just privileged uh, to, to be standing here in front of you. Um, this is Good Friday, the, the day that, that can't be mentioned without pointing to Sunday, <laughs> but it's also the, the most poignant and defin- definitive moment at the heart of Christianity, of the Christian faith. Um, and in preparing for today, uh, a phrase... Uh, Nothing but Jesus and him crucified. Nothing but Jesus and him crucified popped into my brain. And I knew it came from somewhere uh, in Scripture, so I looked it up. And it comes from 1 Corinthians in the first chapter, where Paul's writing to encourage and guide the early church uh, that he started in Corinth. And this passage, uh, the particular passage, has been a guide and an encouragement to me in preparing. So I'd like to read it out as a prayer. Uh, this morning to prepare our hearts and minds as we dig in to what God has to say to us. So would you pray with me? Paul writes, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God, that's our prayer for, for us this morning. Uh, may not be by, by uh, might of men or women, but that you be the one speaking to us today, Spirit. This is your story. This is your narrative. Come alive, Jesus, in our hearts this morning. Amen. Okay. Well, much of today's message uh, draws from the studies of Michael Eaton and Timothy Keller, and I'm grateful for their work, uh, so I must credit them. But uh, let's read, let's just jump right into today's scripture. We're looking at Luke 23, and we're going to focus in on uh, the verses 32 to 43, more the second half of that passage, but we're going to read the whole lot uh, for context. Uh, You can read with me, it'll be up on the screen, or you can also pull it up on your device. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. 
One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he turned and said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, the truth is, as we look at the cross on this Good Friday, it's not enough to believe, just to believe that Jesus died for us. It's not enough. We must seek to understand why. Why did he die? Keller quite bluntly describes this passage like this. Everyone's dying in this scene. Everyone's dying. But everyone has something to say. And there's something to learn from each one. And there are three things I'd love for us to look at today, and it's these things. The easiest mistake to make in the world, the hardest thing to admit in the world, and the greatest gift in the world. So first off, the easiest mistake to make in the world, how easy it is to miss Jesus. How easy it is to miss Jesus. We see this in the way that the first criminal speaks to Jesus. And we learn two reasons why he misses Jesus. The crowd and the criterion. So let's look at verses 35 to uh, 38. Everyone's mocking Jesus, right? And it's not just the onlookers, especially the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers. Now these are, are two groups of people who never agree on anything. And here they are, agreeing with each other, but for different reasons. The religious leaders, they essentially are claiming that oh, he can't be this chosen one. They're referring to the one that God foretold in the Old Testament uh, who would come and save his people, the Messiah. And that comes from Isaiah, another part of Isaiah in 42, uh, chapter 42. But then we see the Roman soldiers. Now they're looking and scoffing at Jesus, but they're looking at him through the paradigm of secular leadership. And they're like, he can't be a king. He's weak. He's on a cross, the cross that we put him on. Now these two groups agree that anyone dying on a cross cannot be anyone significant. And this consensus of the crowd, this this flow, it, it fuels the words of the first dying man where we see the criterion that he gives Jesus. It's a test. Look at that in verse 39. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Well, what's a criterion? Well, it's a, looked it up, and it's a principle or a standard by which something may be judged or decided. It's a test. If you pass, I'll believe. But there's already a slew of criteria that he's overlooking, right? The last three years, Jesus' life, healing, miracles, teachings. And yet, right here, right now, he gets swept up in the crowd's sentiment, and he says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us in a demand And the first dying man is putting an urgent need forward. Nothing else matters. And for you and me, we may not want to admit it, but for many of us, our belief in God is so so often contingent on the need of the moment, the need of the hour. And if God doesn't come through, we reject him, or at least our relationship with him starts to crumble a little bit. The harsh truth in this attitude indicates that we don't want God. We want a divine personal assistant. What's that? Well, we have our own plan, right? 
and, and we ask God to make it happen. Now think about it. There's a situation, and we think, or we want to think, that there's a certain way through it. Maybe it's more nuanced than that for, for you. It is for me. I, we say, show me the way, God, but make sure along the way this happens and that happens and this doesn't happen. Do you see? We want someone who's all-powerful but no smarter than us. I've shared this story uh, once or twice over the years, but it's, it's been a while. So I was um, in fourth year at university. I was on top of the world in my mind. I was in control of what mattered most to me. The car I drove, the girl I dated, the grades I was getting. But there were hard times, and when they did come, I would reach out to God. I would reach out to him for help. But it was a one-way conditional relationship. As long as things went to my plan, God and I were... We're good. But if, if, if things went awry, if they went pear-shaped, and they did, and I lost grip on things, and I did, I'd get angry with God. Where are you in this? Why is this happening to you, to me? Why are you letting this happen? So plain and simple, I was wrapped up with other things. <laughs> I was missing him. I was living past him. I was busy trying to hold my world together. And to miss Jesus, well, that's to overlook him. That's to minimize him, practically forget him in the din, the pace, and the flow of life. And the first dying man then, well, he shows us how easy it is to miss Jesus, like I did, like I do. And the second dying man, well, he, he begins to show us how to find Jesus, the words of the second man uh, tells us this, the hardest thing to admit in the world. What's that? The hardest thing to admit in the world. We deserve judgment. <laughs> Hard to hear, but look at verses 40 and 41. We are punished justly, says the second dying man, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. This man is doing something that is the hardest thing possible. He recognizes the difference between God as a means to an end versus the end itself. And both, had, both of these men have a need, right? They're in trouble. They're dying. And both of them are turning to Jesus in their trouble. But one of them is changed. The other one is not. Can't you and I relate to this? Many turn to God. Every day, but few change in the long term. Why? Look at the posture with which each man approaches God. The first dying man says, I'll be with you if you get me out of trouble. There's a negotiable and there's a non-negotiable. The negotiable, it's God. The non-negotiable is our real God, <laughs> which is whatever we want most at that time. That's always going to be our real God. But now, before we dismiss this as clearly the wrong way, I know all of us would agree, right? And have nothing to do with it. Let's distance ourselves from that. We've got to pause and think and perhaps admit, is this ever true of us, you and me? Does this sound familiar? Change my circumstances, God. Deal with this person or problem. Break me, break me through or get me out of here. And here's the intention. I'll follow you more often, more closely, and again, as long as you deliver. 
Now, there's no question. There's no question that God can change our circumstances in answer to prayer. He can do that, and he does, but not all the time. Because he's not primarily the God of changing our circumstances when we want him to. First of all, it's too long of a name. But second of all, to consider God that way is to render a very incomplete picture of him, of who he is. So the first approach is, I'll be with you if you get me out of trouble. The second dying man says this, I'll accept my trouble if I can be with you. I'll accept my trouble if I can be with you. It reveals a fundamental change to what on which his life centers. To what on which his life centers. Uh, Keller says this, the, the first man is more concerned with saving his skin than his soul, and the second dying man is more concerned with saving his soul than his skin. He's saying, I don't care about the trouble if I can have you, Jesus. More profoundly, he's saying, we're, we get what we deserve here. We get what we did. What we did deserves this punishment. But this is an impossible thing to admit, that we deserve judgment. It's impossible to admit without God's help. Now, we may not be violent criminals, but no matter who we are, when we get in trouble, we, we look for a way to save ourselves somehow, don't we? In these desperate cases, uh, the irreligious, let's call them the secular, they look to God as a means to an end, the first criminal, right? We talked about that. But what about the religious? What about how, how different are they? <laughs> Well, if we look closely, not so much. Those with the religious belief system, well, they try to keep a holy, a moral, a moral life, uh, all to expect God's favor. Their relationship with God is a, a transactional one, or so they think. Um, I'll give this up or, or that up, dot, dot, dot. You know, I live a moral life. I'm, I'm living a more upright life or living a, less, a more moral life than that guy. Oh, but I do it for God. But they're really saying, without saying it, um, look at how hard I've worked. Look at what I've done. And then they say, and I don't deserve anything. No, they don't. No, they don't. Far from it. I know this too well. No, they say, God owes me. God owes me health, a family, uh, success, good things. Religion is using God as a means to an end to just like the first criminal. In this position, this posture, it especially reveals reveal when things go badly for us, right? When things don't go well, or at least in our eyes, when, when maybe we're comparing ourselves to that guy and, and, and they're living a less moral life, and yet our lives are crumbling. We get angry. And that's why this makes the religious no better than the first dying man. It's using God as a means to an end. And there's a different way. There's a different way. When the first criminal de- demanded save us, the second criminal pleaded for mercy. Demand from the first guy. Plead for mercy in the second, and he's saying, remember me. So yeah, it's impossible to admit that we deserve judgment without God's help. It's not done by our own strength, but in faith-filled response to Jesus. And it's necessary in order to receive the greatest gift. And what about that third dying man? What do we learn from what he says? The greatest gift in the world 
Look at verse 43. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What's he offering here? Not just the literal meaning of paradise or heaven. Look at the scripture again. There's a more operative word than paradise here. Today you will be with me. You will be with me. What does this mean? And it's more than sentimental gesture. It's, it's used elsewhere in Scripture. It backs it up. In John's Gospel, in chapter 17, I think I, I grabbed it so we can take a look uh, with me, is, is he, the night before he dies, he's praying. He's praying. He says, Father, I want them to, essentially, he prays and says, Father, I want them to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory from before the creation of the world. Love them even as you love me. He's saying, I'm going to the cross so they can be with me. And you can regard and love them exactly, exactly the way you regard and love me. And we see it again in Ephesians, in chapter 2. Paul says, uh, and he, the Father, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead to sin. And he raised us up with him and seated us, up, seated us in the heavenly realms. Raised, seated Past tense. Typo? No, it's done. It's done. We're, we're positionally seated. Jesus is saying much more than when you die, you'll go to heaven. Yes, that's true. But Jesus is saying whether or not you die today, you will be with me. I'm about to accomplish, I'm about to accomplish a thing. Uh, salvation. I'm going to be able to be exalted, lifted up, as we saw in that passage in Isaiah, just as we started this meeting. My prayer, my guarantee to you is that you will be with me. Charles Hodge, he's a, uh, from mid-1800s, he taught at Princeton Theological Seminary in America, and he wrote a series of short works called uh, Chapel Talks. And there's one in particular uh, on um, 1 John 2, uh, and it says this, and I have it up on the screen there. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, first of all, I love what he says, my little children. I just love it because it's just who we are, aren't we? <laughs> um, but there's another word in there, advocate. For those of you who don't know, it means defense attorney. And, and in court, some of us have been there, maybe. I have a story to tell in a minute, maybe. <laughs> this, is, this is saying that to the judge, the jury, and the court, you look exactly like your advocate. Your defense, if, if he or she is smart, you're, you look smart. If your defense attorney is eloquent, you're eloquent. If your defense attorney wins, you win. But if he's unwise... You're unwise, or you look unwise. If he loses, you lose. And Hodge says it this way, you are lost in your advocate. I like that. You, you may not even appear. Your advocate eclipses you as if you're not even there. And it reminds me of the day I went behind bars for my daughter. Um, I can say that with, with a smile now, but at the moment, <laughs> not so much. So some of you know this story, but... But uh, I won't bore you with the details. Essentially, a few years ago, we found ourselves in a bit of a pickle. 
with home affairs around the residency uh, status of our little girl, who was two years old at the time. By the way, this is not to bash home affairs, okay? Our numerous encounters with them over the years, we've met some incredible people who proudly serve this country, and they do it well. Um, in this pickle, <laughs> lawful procedure required that since our daughter was a minor, one of her parents must be prosecuted <laughs> uh, on her behalf. We didn't get to choose which parent. The department chose, and they sniffed out the weaker link, and they picked me. Um, well, we didn't know what to expect, but at the end of the day, and oh, what a day that was, I was read my rights, I was booked in, and I spent many hours behind bars in Cape Town. Um, and I said that I was the weaker link, and that's true. <laughs> I don't know how things would have gone down with Tasha in there. I, in a good way, in a good way. But it took a miracle to stay calm, cool, and collected while I served time. And Tasha, she can attest, it was a miracle. Um, and by God's mercy, this whole ordeal happened without my little girl having to be there. <laughs> Which is especially something that we hold dear. Um, I was standing in her place so she didn't have to. But at the time, I didn't know that. But here, Jesus does. He does it because he, and he knew that. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was going to. So that story of mine is as 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 pivotal as it was for us in the moment. I didn't realize that truth. And yet God, here he is, sending his only son to do this horrible thing and to be succumb to this is, uh, is actually quite, quite telling. And then we go back to this first John passage and it says, we basically can see when you decide to follow Jesus, you're with him. He says, I'm in your place so that you can be in my place. I'm in your place, so you can be in my place. The minute you come, become a Christ follower, you don't simply get your sins washed away and then on your way. You're with him. We're with him. When God looks at you and me, he treats us as if we have accomplished everything that he's accomplished. Why? And how can that be? Because, he says, I'm in your place so that you can be in my place, says Jesus. He says, I'm receiving what you deserve so I can get what I deserve. So that, sorry. He says, I'm receiving what you deserve so that you can get what I deserve. You are with me, he says. Earlier in this passage, that, that famous uh, quote from Jesus in verse 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. They're mocking, they're beating, they're betraying, they're insulting, they're killing me. But none of them understand what they're doing. This is someone demonstrating the impossible, and we call it perfect love. Perfect love. I'm here getting what you deserve so that God can treat you for the rest of forever as he treats me. Why? Why is it hard for us to accept and live in and under this truth? Now, it's not lost on us. We have a general idea that God loves us in a general way. But we're missing the fact sometimes that, when, that we're with him. We're raised with him. 
We miss that. We, we live our lives uh, finding it hard to receive criticism or be snubbed. We get down on ourselves. We get anxious even. Here's a small story to, to kind of wrap. Consider yourself as a billionaire and you have 300 rand notes in your pocket. You get an Uber ride and at the end, you give the driver a 100 rand cash tip. Pretty generous. Later in the day, you realize that you only have one note left. So another one must have either accidentally gone to the Uber driver or you, it dropped or you, you, you lost it along the way. What do you do? Do you freak out? Do you call the police? <laughs> Go back to where you dropped, drop, were dropped off by the Uber driver and get on your hands and knees and, and look for it? No, you're a billionaire. Why would you do that? Are we losing sleep over this or that? Are we living with guilt over something that we used to do? In Christ, we are billionaires. Rejoice that your name is already in heaven, that you are with Jesus. All because of what we, we look at today, Good Friday. That's what Jesus was up to on the cross, so that we can live our lives for God, for God, the greatest gift in the world, Jesus and him crucified. Jesus and him crucified. Sure, on Christmas morning, we, we definitely call Jesus the gift. There's no question. But the greatest gift in the world, Jesus and him crucified. No matter who you are, what you've done or haven't done, how far in life you find yourself, we see, that, we see in this passage that even in the 11th hour, the second criminal saw Jesus, believed him, heard those, these words from Jesus, the God of grace, say, today, you will be with me in paradise for the rest of forever. There's no better place to be. All thanks to Christ on the cross. Chambers says this, Since mine eyes have looked on Jesus, one lost, I've lost sight of all beside, so enchained my spirit's vision, gazing on the crucified. <clears throat> Nothing else matters. Best gift of all, Jesus and him crucified. What I'd love for us to do is kind of pivot our attention to the screen for the next couple of minutes. There's just a real great, what I believe is a, a visual depiction for us to, to res begin to respond um, to this message. It's a familiar message for those of you who've been a uh, uh, Christ follower for a while. But I invite you to really open your, your hearts and your, and your eyes uh, as, as we, we just sit here and, and, and watch and see what, what God does. Um, let what you've heard this morning also just simmer and marinate, um, and, then, uh, and then we'll go from there. Okay, let's watch. <laughs> 